Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. Hey everyone, I am so thrilled to be here today with author Lorena Junco Margain. She is the author of On the Way to Casa Lotus. It is an amazing story. If you haven't already read her book, you have got to read this book. I literally could not put this book down. I went out into my backyard to read your book, Lorena, and I just thought, oh, I'll read a couple pages of this, you know, and I couldn't put it down. I get cold chills right now all over my body thinking about your story. Like I start to tear up. Oh, Rebecca, first of all, thank you for your kind introduction and for having the time to read me. It means a lot. Sometimes when it's a personal story, you get a little scared, you know, that your story doesn't deserve shining. And then I remember to have self-love and say, why not? We all need to speak up and be our own self-advocates. And that's the main reason I wanted my kids and my family to see that from bad situations, good things can come. So that was a main awesome. driver behind it. Yeah. Well, just so that the listeners who haven't yet read your book can get a little bit of an idea and I don't want to give away anything or like have any spoilers. So why don't you give us a brief synopsis of your story just to give them an idea of what we're planning to talk about. The topic today, we're, we're actually going to talk about how to be heard, you know, when you go to your doctor, especially when you have something that's a little bit hard to diagnose. We're going to dive in and you're going to give us some tips about how to get heard when you're at your doctor's office, but just so people know where you're coming from, could you share a little bit of your story? Of course. So I wrote my memoir on the way to Casa Lotus, and it's basically a memoir on family, art, injury, and forgiveness. And I use art to weave all my story. I'm a passionate art collector and artist, and I journaled a lot through since I'm a kid. And when I moved to the United States, this was 13 years ago, Mexico was going through severe safety concerns and my family, we just decided to move. And, you know, as a Mexican, you grow up seeing your neighbors pretty like the, the ones who got it, right? So it was a, a big change, a brave one, but we decided to just have a good quality of life for the kids and the kids deserved to not be thinking all the time about security and they should be playing out in the park. And so that's why we decided to stay. So life goes on and unfortunately I had severe symptoms that overlapped with depression. And this was mainly after my third kid was born and I had stopped breastfeeding. So all the data pointed as depression, like postpartum depression, baby blues, hormonal imbalances. So I, I really pushed, I went to New York for, I, it's not that I didn't want antidepressants, but I didn't feel depressed. So a doctor for me has always been authority and I should never question a doctor. I don't know why I, I was wired that way. So eventually I, I told my husband, like, I don't think this is a, a depression. I'm willing to take the antidepressants 
if that's the solution. That's actually the, the easy way out. But I think this is something else. So off I go to New York, this very avant-garde Dr. Amen, and he scans your brain and he can basically see uh, where the frontal lobe emotions and where logic and what lights up under stimulus or when you're meditating and they can basically tell you if it's depression or just you need omegas or, or whatever your brain needs. Turns out my brain was fine. So I was pretty bummed because I still needed the antidepressants, but nothing, I couldn't find evidence of it other than the doctor's thoughts. So I just started giving up honestly and started taking them and I was like I just don't feel any change and and then they told me you know they build up so you need to give it three weeks and three weeks later I'm like gosh I feel like I'm having a heart attack like and they're like you you have you know you just had a baby you're tired take a deep breath and I even reached out to all my family members to my best friends I'm like do you really think I'm depressed and everyone kind of would agree because actually the thought of everyone thinking I was depressed, depressed me. And something I didn't have was I didn't speak up. I didn't want to be a burden or kind of be repetitive. So I mistakenly started shutting down and being less vocal every time. So long story short, I invite you on my quest to find out how I was always right and I participated in a way of things you know going downhill sadly they found I had an adrenal tumor and then sadly the doctor made a irreversible mistake and that's when I truly think I fell into depression but through the healing process I've learned the importance of speaking up as your own health advocate and just by owning it it changes it totally the way it feels. Well, part of it, I feel like you answered part of one of my questions was how did it feel? Because many of my listeners and readers of my blog have been through uh, an illness or something where they have had these symptoms and had doctors basically tell them there's, you know, we can't find anything wrong with you, you know, possibly this is psychosomatic. So one, I really wanted to know how it felt for you whenever you kept getting told that it was depression and that there was really nothing else wrong with you. That, that was one of the things. And I think you answered that a little bit, but was there at some point during all of that, when you started wondering, is this in my head? Am I just depressed? You know, or because I think sometimes when you are sick and you're feeling all of these things and you're trying to keep that happy face for your family and you're trying to like, yeah, they're right. You know, I am okay. I am okay, but you don't feel okay. All of that, almost pretending it does kind of make you feel like you're depressed. So am I, was I depressed first or did I become depressed because I had these symptoms? Was there a point when you wondered? Yes, I did. And I actually started being, uh, you know, I first chose Dr. Google and that didn't help in a way that I didn't find my, my, my right sources. So you get into this down spiral where you're like, oh my gosh, I might be dying. And now you're not only dealing with, I don't feel well and I'm depressed. Now I'm dying. Right. 
So you're constantly putting a in a bucket fear plus fear and more fear. And then I noticed that that was not helping me or at least how I came across with my family. So what I did is I gave them responsibilities. I told them I just don't feel well. And when I don't feel well, I don't, I, I'm not making good decisions. So I need you to think for me because I, I, I feel I failed in so many ways. So I started giving like my parents, I need you to help me get into the Mayo Clinic. My husband, I need you to help me. So I started doing my homework in a sense and being strategic versus going to the same doctor again and again and again and coming back home with no answers and the victim role just grew. So then I started kind of dissecting it into buckets and say, okay, what are the symptoms and are they measurable? Like feelings are not measurable, but it doesn't mean that they don't have an, uh, an effect in your body, right? So I would start my column of the feelings each, like what, what triggered pain, what feelings. So for me, it was fear of death. And then I did like, what, is it true that I have financial support? And once I'm like, yes, my insurance, that's fine. So check. So basically I started kind of separating myself and seeing it as a case study. And that's when I started looking at the problem as like tete a tete, as they say in French, like head to head and, and, and talking about it as a separate thing versus all my emotions. And then I basically became an expert on reading my lab reports. And then sometimes the answers are closer than what we think, you know, a mom at school is a doctor. And I was like, I'm sorry to bug you, but can you read this? And she's like, you're not bugging me. For me, this is like, it's for you painting. It comes naturally. I, I thrive doing this. So I just started being vulnerable and reaching out to my community and they started bringing food. So we had a food calendar play dates, which were like, I didn't want my kids to see me in bed all day. And I, that was one of my biggest guilt, like how my kids were gonna experience all this. And I think that it takes a village and, and there mm -hmm. is isolation is the poorest decision we can all make. And I know it's a hard, brave one to open up and be vulnerable. But mm -hmm. what I've learned is that people thrive on serving, on giving, and that they are learning also from your process. So right. when you see that there's an exchange, it actually becomes very dynamic and they follow up with you and, and surrounding yourselves with people that, that have good critical thinking and that have your best interests, you know, being always your health and your family. So that also, made me understand that feelings and pain are very personal. How you process pain might be totally different to my pain tolerance. And I understood that there's no right or wrong. So what I started focusing on was with a relationship with my doctor, telling him how is it that I felt pain or how is it that I felt feelings? So I would add, adjectives I would say it's a stabbing pain versus just mm -hmm. pain 
you know, or dull or jabbing. And then I would storytell, like I was driving my kid and suddenly everything moved around me. I had to park on the side. So trying to put him in my shoes Mm -hmm. and just trying to give them more information. The more information is power. So kind of recreating the scene to see where his mind would go. And I actually did notice that instead of being an object, you kind of start becoming a person. Mm -hmm. And also by you honoring the doctor that they're also a person, they have their schedules, their, you know, the wife, the kids, the this, the that, and just being very responsible about how you use their time. So I would be fully prepared with my list of questions. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I feel so geeky about it. And he's like, actually, this is the best thing you can do. I would invite all your listeners to make lists. We thrive on lists. It it feels good to kind of check it out the box and know that you're getting closer and closer to your answers Mm -hmm. instead of everything being a jumble of ideas. Because the homework, eventually, we're the ones that need to do it. It's not the doctor's responsibility. So it was a very hard lesson uh, for me to be at peace with. Because you Mm -hmm. think that they're the professionals and they they should make the call. But actually, diagnosis is a pretty complex field. And I think we need to provide them the more information and also relate to them. Like if there's something your gut doesn't like, this is wrong, follow your follow your gut feelings, just find a second opinion. And, um, and I don't think we're limited to that. There's something wrong about doubting someone. I think that socially we're like, you should never double, you know, question things, but we should actually, we need Mm -hmm. to make informed decisions. Well, and sometimes I think And maybe you'll give us some insight on this, but I have actually had doctors who didn't like me questioning anything. They didn't want to show me my test result. I mean, and I have talked to other women who have experienced this where one, they're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. And like you, they, you know, consult Dr. Google, they start like having some questions and putting things together. But when they present these questions and findings to their doctor, sometimes it's not taken so well. I so agree. is that the time to look for a second opinion or switch doctors? Yes, definitely. Definitely. And sometimes we feel that the world is too small and we won't find, you know, another op- option. The beauty about, or one of the silver linings behind COVID is that Zoom opened the world to doctors. So I have actually been Zooming with specialists at Mayo Clinic. I don't have to physically go there. They send me the box with all the tubes. I have it processed in my hometown and I send it. So I think that we're in a good spot, that we're not limited to the doctors in your own town, but that Mm -hmm. takes You need to do research, read the reviews, have an interview with him. And I know that sounds bothersome, but the amount of time I put on repairing all the bad things that happened, you know, I I should have put them on questioning and finding the best fit for me. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. And I think it's sometimes hard because we are, I don't know if we're taught this or how we get to the point where we doubt ourselves and we doubt what our body is telling us when we go see the doctor and they, you know, want to prescribe a medication that we know isn't right for us. And I I hate to say that because I know that doctors are trained, but for example, just a really short example, I have had low stomach acid for about 15 years. I've had the Heidelberg test where you swallow a transmitter and it checks the acid in your stomach. And I've had chronically low stomach acid. But I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago, I started having some stomach pain that just wouldn't go away. And so I went to a a new doctor and he immediately wanted to write me a prescription for a type of antacid, Mm -hmm. an acid blocker that they give to patients with severe ulcers. Well, I already knew that I didn't produce enough stomach acid. So I knew that if I took an acid blocker, that that would make things worse. And so I told him. And he was very offended and he actually started to speak to me in a very condescending tone and said, well, you can either take the prescription or you can end up back in here with a tube shoved down your throat so they can look at your stomach and started like scare tactics with me. And so I just shut up and didn't say anything else to him because one, I was intimidated. Two, I knew that I wasn't going to take the medication and our relationship couldn't go any further. So that was kind of the end of that situation. But I feel like a lot of people, myself included, are put into that position and then we begin to doubt ourselves, right? You know, there's different, I've learned through my experience, there are different models on where some doctors charge by patient and some are just on on a like set salary. So for example, back to the Mayo Clinic, what one of their beauties is that they don't get paid more in volume, they just have a fixed salary. So they're literally, is there anything else you wanna talk about? Do you have any concerns? So I was like, are you talking to me? Like, oh my gosh, you really are interested in me. And it, it does feel good and that opens you up and he gets more, you know, they ask you like, how does a daily day look like? Tell me when you wanna go back to bed, like how is your energy looking? So. That is a symptom of a doctor that is truly interested in your well-being. And as in any profession, we need to be selective. You know, we, we need to do our homework. I, I've done a lot of counseling to be at peace in the medical field. And one of the ways to do that was serving. So, for example, and I talked to about it on, on the way to Casa Lotus, my memoir, like, I had a baby from Philippines that needed a heart. I listened to this podcast episode this morning. That was amazing. Oh, what a wonderful story. He gave me back faith on doctors because for me, Mm -hmm. doctors were the enemy. And then when I saw that a doctor literally saved his life and I witnessed Mm -hmm. him from being almost purple, blackish to Mm -hmm. back to like, blush and and not blue not blue lips you know i witnessed that miracle and i and Mm. we need doctors we need those heroes Mm -hmm. that save lives and uh but sadly we forget their humanity and you Mm -hmm. know they also make mistakes so part of my message is 
owning it. You need to own mm -hmm. it and, and be a good health advocate for yourself, for your kids, and teaching them to be open on how they're feeling, using their adjectives. How is it that you explain? Give me more, right? Give me mm -hmm. more. And then another very releasing thing for me was writing, talking about anger, like acknowledging that there was a lot of anger in me and culturally, or I don't know why I took it in that way, but I never got angry. And I would still like my counselor told me, just go in your car put the music on and scream, you know, but you need that hormonal release because mm -hmm. I feel like I cannot even scream at my house because my kids would think I'm crazy because everyone thinks I'm crazy, right? So I even need, needed to hide my anger. So I started first speaking my truth. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I feel I'm not going to make it. And then I had to do speak the truth to the wrongdoer not physically but written and mm -hmm. i just went all the way you know cussing and thinking all that i i let myself feel the anger and then that letter either you you know shred it burn it whatever you want to do but it's actually very liberating and then i i started to speak the truth which is what I'm doing with you like just talking to you is helping me heal and understand that we are a lot that are going through that and that we are not alone and that we should speak up and share our stories because we need to have sounding boards and people to relate to and understand that womenhood just that is a lot to take in and we need to, to talk about it so then you just come at peace and you need to move forward and let the past, you know, be water under the bridge and learn the lessons and say from now on that these are my do's and don'ts and, and you know, live that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. so it's like a very aware decision that you need to, to make. I really like what you said about learning to trust doctors again by serving and seeing those, you know, things that they do that they do so well. Like, for example, in your podcast episode that I literally was just listening to this morning, Lorena's podcast, by the way, I'll link it in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can go back to the, the website that Organic Mom and find the link for Lorena's podcast. It's called On My Way. And I love your intro, the music. I was dancing <laughs> in my car. I was like, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love the beat. My daughter's like, oh, what's the beat? What, what's this you're listening to? I was like, it's a podcast. But the beat was amazing. <laughs> and then I just happened to listen to the story of the I can't remember all of the details. What was the name of the child, but what you did. Foundation and mm -hmm. literally this brave mom from Philippines, she applied everywhere in Asia and no one took her, her case. And here's where internet is handy. She was like, I need to save my child. And through a Facebook group, she ended up finding an Austinite that said that a, doc a doctor could do it in in Austin and she applied and perfect timing. I was ready to heal. So it's like God sent. Mm -hmm. And I'm so nervous of 
baby dying, you know, like, what did I get myself into? This is how pessimist I was like, now I'll, I'll mourn him and he'll die because when I saw him, we went straight to the ER. He was so, so bad. And all my fears started, you know. But you followed your him. instincts. That's what yeah. I loved about that story. You broke through that fear and you trusted yourself. Yes, when normally they told me, no, you need to come to Wednesday appointment and then we will see what the plan is. And I'm like, mm -hmm. mm -mm, this is ER. And I went to the ER and it was code blue. Like they got immediately intubated, you know, that basically saved his life. They performed the surgery and I was kind of relieved and at the same time proud that thanks to my experience, this kid's life was saved. So that's why I started actually a paid forward campaign because it's our, through our insights and through our good things and good things that you receive and you can share, you know, so I did this campaign where if you buy online on my website, lorenajuncomargain.com, you can buy the book with a little necklace or some bracelets or a hat. And for every box that you send to a friend, we will donate a caregiver kit to a chronic ill patient because the ill people are always receiving stuff, but the caregivers, they're just so not recognized or appreciated so it's something like a blanket as a hug a lot of metaphors that will kind of raise their self-esteem and that they're on the right path and resilience so basically as you can see Rebecca from uh, tragedy I'm trying to change all of this into a blessing I hated the feeling of people told me like oh that's such bad luck and that would trigger like, I don't want to be the bad luck person, you know, and so I just made peace with it and meditated a lot and said, what if this was meant for me, because mm -hmm. I can do something big out of it. And that's the way I've been working from then on. And magical things do happen. For example, my kidneys are overperforming to to do stuff that the adrenals do so it happens it's real i'm i'm testimony of that so i invite to everyone that is listening don't be afraid to feel because if you are brave enough to feel whatever it is you're going and be gentle with yourself that is so much healing and another thing i learned through my ayurvedic practitioner is when the spirit doesn't get it, it goes to your emotions. When your emotions doesn't get it, it goes to your body. So if you think of it that way, you're like, okay, I'm gonna work on my spiritual side. I'm gonna work on faith. I'm gonna work on me being part of a greater good. And then, okay, dang it, I didn't get it. Okay, my emotions were hurt. You know, my feelings were hurt or I feel unappreciated. Okay, now I'm, I'm in the emotions tier, right? How can I be okay with those feelings so I can stop that from somatizing into my, into my body? So for example, in my case, adrenals, I fled my country. And coincidentally, the fight or flight mechanism is where that, the adrenals take care of the adrenaline and that hormonal shift. So it's 
there's no way denying that your body takes in emotions and each each one takes it differently but I owned that and I'm like yes you were so stressed and you just wanted to have a healthy baby and you didn't have a doctor and what you went through was was a lot and versus oh no I'm fine a lot of people are illegal and they have to cross a desert and you know, I would always be like, no, my pain is nothing. I'm blessed versus you're brave and it's okay to be scared. So now, now I, I mean, now you might hear me like a solid person, but I do have night times are so scary. <laughs> oh, really? My mind goes like down the dark hallway and I'm like, no. Like you need to get information, find good doctors, look on your achievements of your day and just take it one day at a time, one step by step and, and healing happens. Why is that? It's the same thing happens to me. I have crazy things with my cortisol. Like it's in the morning, it's okay. But then midday and evening, it's non-existent. I mean, that's why I, everything I get done, I have to do it in the morning. And then in the middle of the night, my cortisol shoots up really high. And so like my heart is like racing and I'm thinking of all the things that could be wrong and things that could go wrong and all the scary stuff. Why does that, I don't know why it always has to be in the middle of the night when you want to be sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, feelings trigger I remember with one, one, there's this story of a guy wearing a boot that stepped on a nail and, you know, it crossed the boot. And just by seeing that, he was like, oh, I'm in so much pain that the nail, you know, just crossed my foot. And when they removed the boot, the nail was basically between his toes. So this only tells you the power of yeah wherever you put your thought the mind goes right so I also kind of step back a little bit and say okay what if what I'm feeling is the nail that is between my toes and this is really not happening so basically I start journaling like what am I feeling what triggered it and and then when you add it up it all makes up a story and you're like okay something's wrong I need to call a doctor and see what's going on and as simple as getting your lab work done frequently, like every three weeks at 8 a.m. every Monday. And you just add pixels to that story, right? Mm -hmm. and, and cortisol is vital. I mean, you need th that energy to be able to move on to your, you know, on your day-to-day -day life. And if you, high, if you have high cortisol at night, you won't be able to sleep, period. So... There might be practices on how to unwind through meditation. Mm -hmm. And hey, if you need medicine, you need it. That's what mm -hmm. medicine was made for. But only if that's, the, it's, you know, it's not a Band-Aid. It's actually something that your body chemically needs. So yeah. that for me, I, I came to peace with, am I taking too much medicine or am I not? But I think that's also very personal. You know, we cannot judge if someone takes 10 pills, if that works for them, you know, it's mm -hmm. very personal. All right. We can't compare. That's for sure. And everyone has to do what's right for them. Yes. Um, before we wrap this up, there was one other topic that I wanted to ask you about because it piqued my curiosity just 
wanted to know what your thoughts were on this. I know that you advocate for seeing and speaking to doctors as equals rather than, you know, you know, Dr. So-and-so and all of that, just, you know, maybe using a first name. And I just wanted to see if you could kind of explain your thoughts on that a little bit. So were this, were my, my approach to this is humanizing them. If I see them as an authority, I see them as like flawless versus humanizing them. And maybe they didn't sleep that night. Maybe they lost a parent, you know, they, they might also be going through stuff. It's not only you. So understanding that nothing is personal in life. There are sets of coincidences and just talking to him face to face versus a position of no questioning. And for example, the relationship I have with my, the team of doctors I have, they actually do feel like family. Even if I only see them in a doctor context, I know they care about me. And that, that's worth everything because that means they see you, they appreciate you, they, they know that you're, you know, you need to be a wholesome person, but you need to acknowledge that in them as well. So we need to be also responsible and use their time wisely. I think that's important too. And also knowing that giving them ownership, like you know that this decision could cause this, this and this, like questioning is super healthy. And, you know, I went to my counselor and I'm gonna use a, I'm gonna change subject because sometimes when you story tell, it's easier to say, uh-huh. So I was asking like, doctor, my girl is going into teenage years and how do you help, like, what should I do for her to not get sexually active sooner than what it should? Because I'm afraid of, you know, all my fears, like, sexually transmitted diseases and da, 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 da. And he's like, well, you're, she should ask the kid or the boy whenever they grow up, like, you know, I might be open to it, but I, I need to know that you are clean, if you want to call it that way, and that you're willing to do that, that as well. And I'm like, but what if he says no? And he told me, then he doesn't love her. So I think that applies to doctors as well. Like, hey, doctor, would you be willing to do, you know, X, Y, and C for me? And he, he says, no, that tells you he's not a good doctor. He's mm. not looking for your best interest. So I, I do that analogy because for me, it was a, of course, that's not love. That was sex, mm -hmm. you know, versus this person wants the best for you and for him. It's a healthy sign for that kid to be you know, interested in his well-being as well. So I, I, I hope that analogy kind of clears how I see doctors. Like if they say yes, it means that they're willing to be vulnerable and open and, you know, and that's healthy symptoms. Mm -hmm. I think really the bottom line, if you can't have a conversation with your doctor that goes two ways, then it might be time to find a new doctor. <laughs> I agree. And also ask around, you know, I, I hadn't noticed how many doctors we had at our school, like parents of my kids' friends. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a cardiologist. 
an infectious disease doctor, a dermatologist, and you know the answers are closer than what we think. And also, just being at the same school might mean you have a same parenting approach. So that's even a, another good symptom, you know. So finding doctors that align with your lifestyle, that you align with your values, that's very important. Mm -hmm. Very good advice. Again, the book is On the Way to Casa Lotus. It is amazing. I highly recommend going out and reading it. And if you know a caregiver, if you have a caregiver in your life, consider sending them a pay it forward box. The link will be in the show notes. Lorena, can you tell us one more time how the pay it forward box works? Yes. So the pay it forward box, you go on my website, lorenajuncomargain.com. I'm going to spell it out because I know I have a complicated name. L-O-R-E-N-A-J-U-N-C-O-M-A-R-G-A-I-N.com. Lorenamorgain.com. You basically have the box and you drag either a hat, some bracelets that remind you that you're on your way or a beautiful necklace. And the book comes like set to the side. And for each box that you buy and send to someone, we will be donating a care kit to a chronic ill patient's caregiver. And that, mm. that set includes a blanket, an eye mask, some lip balm. Many people at hospitals are cold, so like a little hat. Also positive affirmations that, you know, you're resilient, you can do this. And basically it's just telling them we see you and appreciate you. Such a beautiful thing. I love how you took something that could have really just, you know, put you on your butt, ruined your life, made you a negative person. You could have just sat down and gave up, but you just have turned what happened to you into so many beautiful things. And I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. And please know to all the listeners, this was not immediate. There's no magic wand or easy path. You know, forgiveness is a muscle. Every emotion is a muscle. So you just need to practice it in little things and it'll grow. So just mm. trust the process. I think that's super important and that we all are on our way to a better, a better person. And please let me know if I can help in any way in your story, Rebecca, I would be honored to because that's, you know, using each other as sounding boards, we can raise awareness and, and inspire other people to, to talk about this and feel that we are all interconnected. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Hopefully I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Please write and review so other people can learn about this podcast find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.